Good morning, church. After my last sermon, I must say that I have been much encouraged by your feedback and your love and support that was poured out to me in words. I am also glad to hear from some of you how the Lord has challenged you through his word. Well, God speaks today through his word and this scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. Shall we look to the Lord in prayer? Heavenly Father, this morning we look towards you to teach us, to correct us and to train us for your glory and for the edification of the church. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. So just to do a recap of what we did the last time, Paul is writing the letter to Philemon and to the local church that meets at his home. The purpose of writing this letter is to intercede for Onesimus, who is a runaway slave who escaped his boss Philemon, who is the leader of the church that meets at his home. So Paul sends Onesimus with a letter to Philemon with the hope that Philemon will receive Onesimus back. In other words, reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus. But how did this reconciliation become such effective in the early church? For that, we need to see how the early church functioned. And in the first part of Philemon, from verse 1 through 7, which we did the last time, we got a glimpse of the functioning of the early church. We saw that the identity and community of the early church was the root that produced the fruit of the ministry of reconciliation. So last Sunday we saw the distinctives of the early church that paved the way for the ministry of reconciliation to take place. The distinctives were identity and community. We learned that we need to set our identity right. Our individual identity is in Jesus Christ. Our vocational identity is that we are fellow workers of Christ irrespective of our role. Our corporate identity is the body of Christ, the church. So true reconciliation simply does not happen. It happens in the right context. The identity grew in the context of the koinonia fellowship of the community. And that's what we saw the last time. Now, having seen the context of identity and community of the early church, which paved the way for reconciliation, let us today focus on the ministry of reconciliation itself. In verses 8 through 25 of Philemon, we can see reconciliation in action. Last Sunday, I mentioned to you about another letter written addressing a similar situation in the same time period in the Greco-Roman world. It was the letter of Pliny the Younger to Sabianus regarding an unnamed freedman, not a slave, unnamed freedman who had offended his boss. If you keep both his letters side to side, you will see that Paul's appeal is radically different from Pliny's appeal. Pliny's letter looks like what a worldly reconciliation is all about. Whereas Paul's letter to Philemon shows how, what God's reconciliation means, what godly reconciliation means. So in my teaching today, I would also contrast both these letters to understand 
what God expects us in reconciliation. So let me read uh, Philemon 8 to uh, Philemon verses 8 to 25 for you. Philemon verses 8 to verse 25. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man now, a prisoner for Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but by your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while. But you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave but more than a slave a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you received me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh me in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Ephaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greeting to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So when we read this uh, portion from verses 8 through 25, this was the crux of the message to Philemon. The first thing that strikes here when we speak about reconciliation is in verse 8. Verse 8 says, So although I have quite a lot confidence in Christ and could command you to do what is proper, I would rather appeal. So that's the first point in reconciliation. Reconciliation values relationship. Yes. Reconciliation values relationship over right. Paul was an apostle and he could have used his commanding authority. In other words, Paul can legitimately use his power, but he would instead appeal. For Paul, it was relationship that mattered the most. This also confirms Paul's language when he used, when he addressed Philemon as his fellow brother, which a fellow worker, which we saw in the last time. Paul did not invoke his right to correct Philemon. But he is appealing on the basis of his relationship to Philemon. 
We see the same kind of attitude in verse uh, 13 and 14 when we read. It says that I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but by your own accord. Relationship is not about exercising your right and what you are entitled. In fact, Paul had every right from the Old Testament law to keep Onesimus with him. Because according to the law, there is a provision in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 15 through 16. Let me read that for you. It says, You shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst, in the place that he has, he shall choose within one of your towns, wherever it suits him. So, what did we see over here? We see that Paul had the provision from Old Testament law to keep Onesimus with him. On the other hand, Roman law condemned anyone that offers refuge to asylum to such runaway slaves. It demanded, Roman law demanded that slaves be handed over to the law for stricter punishment. Paul is not influenced by the Roman culture. Neither is he used, neither he used the Old Testament law for his benefit. Paul met the culture where it was. This is also a place where we see Paul contrasting law with grace. Paul did not use his authority. Friends, if we use our authority, we already lost it. Let us for a moment think about the places where we have influence. Uh, do we use our authority or instead give up our authority and value relationship? Remember, authoritarian rule always fails. No dictator can ever think of ruling forever. There will always be a revolt under forced authority. The history of this world has shown that wherever there is forced authority, the people revolt. Be it the American War of Independence or the Indian Struggle of Independence. In contrast, I wanted to show how Pliny's letter, Pliny's letter to Sabianus, you know what does it read? It says that, um, yes, I know you are angry and I know too that you have a right to be angry. While Pliny emphasizes right, Paul emphasizes relationship. I am known to be a tough father implementing the rules. During correction, I have the choice to emphasize rules as my right or relationship. Over the years, the Lord has shown me and corrected me that I have seen that on, on the basis of appeal, on the basis of relationship is much, much more effective than asserting my right to correct them. The second point we will see in verse 9. What does it say over there? It says, I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. That's the second point I want to bring here. Is reconciliation is motivated by love. Reconciliation is motivated by love. It's not duty bound. It's love bound. What is the motive of my action? My action may be right. But is my motive right? Am I simply being duty bound? Or being love bound? Why am I doing what am I doing? 
Paul does not want to convince Philemon because it's the good, it's a duty of a Christian to forgive. But Paul wants to instill into Philemon the virtue of love. He is provoking Philemon's Christian virtue, which is a most, which is a best motive, love. Paul is asking Philemon to think Christianly. To think Christianly is to be impelled by the love because the love of Christ compels us to do whatever we do. Relation, uh, reconciliation can happen only when there is love because it's not about duty. Reconciliation is not simply patch up. Now, this is a very important point to understand. Reconciliation is not simply patch up. You know, I remember in childhood where among friends we used to fight and uh, then another friend who would come as an arbitrator, you know, to make, uh, make us friends back. So he would say, okay, now both of you forget the past and become friends. And so as you are becoming friends, the, you have to shake your hands. So I, I still remember uh, me being uh, how I was. I would purposely press the hand of my friend so much to cause him pain so that I can still show that I won in that in that game of patch-up. Well, if reconciliation is without love, it's not reconciliation. It's simply a deal. It's simply a compromise. Recently, there was a peace agreement signed by the, the UAE and the Israel and it was in the news and I was just reading about it and I came across several articles using the word reconciliation. Well, they can use that word, but we know that true reconciliation is only when there is love. In the absence of love, it's simply a diplomatic agreement. And as Christians, we are not called for simply agreement or patch up. No, we are called to be reconciled because of love. You know, the language of rights is always revolves around duty, but the language of love revolves around relationships. I feel that Paul is playing out his theory, which he said in 1 Corinthians 13 about love. He says, hey Philemon, love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. One thing we usually overlook here is Paul's expectation from Onesimus. Because the letter is addressed to Philemon, we are able to see the content of Paul's expectation from Philemon. But that's only one side of the coin. Because all these are instructions to Philemon. But have we thought about what is going on in Onesimus' mind? If Philemon has to act with love, so is Onesimus too. Onesimus was all this while with Paul. And therefore, Paul might have done a whole lot of discipleship with Onesimus before Onesimus is ready to go back to Philemon. Now we must not take that for granted or overlook it just because we have not seen the other side of the coin. Was there something which Philemon might have hurt Onesimus in any way? Maybe. I don't know. But if so, then Paul might have already given Onesimus a similar encouragement what he is now telling Philemon to act. If that is the case, then 
even Onesimus is motivated by the love to go back to Philemon. Now when we contrast Pliny's letter to Sabianus, what do we see? Uh, Pliny appeals on the basis of, uh, of, 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 you know, placating Sabianus. See this is what he writes. He writes, but mercy earns most praise when anger is fulfilled. Once you love this fellow, and I hope you will love him again for the moment. Uh, it's enough if you let yourself be placated. And that's what we call compromise. Pliny appeals on the basis of placating Sabianus. Paul appeals on the basis of love. Friends, let us do everything on the basis of love. The next point I want to uh, discuss with you is from verse 10 to verse 13. It's quite interesting. In verse 10 to verse 13, um, we read here that Paul is writing to Philemon, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I have become in imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me here in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but by your own accord. In verse 8 to 13 we can see here that Paul is stressing the repentance of Onesimus. And that's the, that's the point which I want to put here. The third point which I wanted to put here was this that repentance, re reconciliation involves repentance. Reconciliation involves repentance. What we read over here about Philemon, uh, sorry, about Onesimus is Paul stressing the repentance of Onesimus. His changed character speaks volume. So Paul does a wordplay on Onesimus because the very meaning of Onesimus is useful. Earlier he was not useful to you, but now he is useful to you, both you and me. In other words, he is truly Onesimus, the useful. However, the word used here for useless is akrestos, which is pronounced exactly as the word akrestos, which means Christless. Onesimus was not useful, Akrestos, because he was Christless Akrestos. But Onesimus is now in Christ and therefore he is useful, Eucristos. That's what happens when a person becomes converted. The prodigal son returned was a better son. Zacchaeus was converted and became a new person. Isn't that what we read in the Bible? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is the story of each one of us who are in Christ. Or this should be the story of each one of us being useful because of our repentance or our change of mind in Christ. It should be true today that Christian employees must be more valuable as workers than unbelievers. I still remember my mother saying the experience of her organization which she used to work back in India. 
The boss of the company was a Hindu. However, he used to prefer appointing people who are Christians simply because he believed that they were more productive for the organization. Christ transforms us. I remember this person who used to give us a lot of trouble when we were ministering back in India in this one particular village. His wife had come to know the Lord and he used to oppose our ministry in the village. He used to get drunk. He used to beat up his wife and he caused us a lot of trouble for us in our ministry. Once he destroyed the motorcycle of one of my co-workers, which was the only uh, way we used to go to do ministry. He was a terror in that village. Friends, last summer when I went to India, I was pleased to see that the weekly Bible study and prayer of that church now takes place at his house. He's a changed person. The gospel transforms. He is reconciled to his wife and children. What a joy to see that broken family now reconciled because of the love of Jesus Christ. It says, a verbal tradition says that a story about St. Augustine, some of you may know about it. Uh, before his conversion, Augustine lived with a prostitute. Later on, he left his promiscuous life after meeting Jesus Christ. One day as he was walking down the street and this prostitute saw him and called him by his name, Augustine did not turn back. He kept on walking. She kept on calling his name and he kept on walking without responding. Finally, she caught hold of him and said, Augustine, it is I. Augustine replied, I know, but it is no longer I. Dear friends, Christ causes repentance in us. Repentance is not simply a, uh, it's not simply a remorse which we feel in our mind. No, it's a conscious change of mind. Philemon must have had it. Onesimus must have had it. We all must have had it. If there is no repentance, there is no reconciliation. I like the way Paul builds up the character of Onesimus in verse 8 to 13. You know, gospel changes one's lens. Paul is now looking at Onesimus from a different approach and urging Philemon to also look at Onesimus from a fresh lens because now Onesimus also believes in Jesus. It's quite interesting to observe that Paul did not bother to mention what mistake Onesimus did because it did not matter. It was his past life. He is a new creation. Paul saw Onesimus with a new set of lenses and expects Philemon to see through this new lens of Christ. It's very hard for us and even for churches to look people with new lens. People usually look at others through the old eyes. Friends, God does not evaluate us from our old life. And therefore, we have no business to evaluate others from old life, period. Contrast this with Pliny's letter to Sabianus. You know what it says? Uh, he says, Pliny says to Sabianus, you can always be angry again if he deserves it. And you will have all the more reason if you have been placated now. <laughs> 
This gives us a hint that Pliny does not expect Sabinus to completely change his attitude towards that freedman. Paul wants Philemon to now look at Onesimus with a completely different attitude. Let's go further and read verse 15. Verse 15 says, For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. This gives us another point about reconciliation. Reconciliation happens best when we focus on God rather on man. Reconciliation happens best when we focus on God rather than man. Paul wanted Philemon not to focus on Onesimus or Onesimus' action because by doing so, he would have thought about the wrongs that have happened to him. Instead, he uses the passive form here. See in the Bible, in the text, how is it uses? He says, he was parted from you. And that's the passive form used here, indicating to see God's hand behind all of this. Changing the focus from Onesimus' action to God's divine purpose. The lesser we focus on the person and that action who has caused harm towards us, the less resentment we feel towards that person. Paul wanted Philemon not to focus on Onesimus' action of running away or causing harm to him so that he might not be thinking about it and become more and more bitter about Onesimus. Instead, look at the hand of God who allowed all this to happen and finally we see Onesimus as a transformed person. Focus on the eternal rather on the temporal. Yes, Philemon, you lost a slave for a brief time. Hey, but you gained a brother for eternity. Isn't that great? Instead, let's see what Pliny's letter to Sabinus mentioned. Pliny's letter to Sabinus mentions, He is young, he is in tears and you have a kind heart. Make all that count. Don't torture him. Don't torture yourself either. Anger is always a torture for a soft heart like yours. Pliny is directing to focus on the person, focusing on the man. Instead, Paul wants Philemon to focus on God. Friends, I want you all to look for a moment in your own lives. Have you been wronged by some? Yes, maybe. But I want us to be encouraged that whoever has wronged us or whatever has wronged done to us, Nothing is beyond the sovereignty of God. Therefore, will you please stop focusing on the person that has harmed you and lay it before the sovereignty of God so that he will make the reconciliation possible. Let's go further and read verse 16. Verse 16 says, again, Paul stresses here, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a brother. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a brother. And that's what I wanted to bring. The next point of reconciliation is, reconciliation seeks to elevate the status. Reconciliation seeks to elevate the status. Now, Onesimus and Philemon are brothers, making their master-slave relationship totally irrelevant. Reconciliation is not maintaining the, the earlier status or restoration back to status quo, but it is now elevating the status. 
what was our status with Christ? Think about it before before uh, we came to know the Lord. What was our status with Christ? I believe that after reconciliation, our status has been elevated. Christ likeness is possible only because of reconciliation. And this is what our eschatology leads me to think that we will simply not be going back to the pre uh, stage of the Garden of Eden, but to a much, much better world. Our eschatology is a hope of a city that is much better than the garden. The city has trees in it. So it has all the best parts of the garden, but it is also beyond it. We will carry all our memories to this new kingdom. Hence, we would be able to appreciate the value of freedom, love and fellowship with God and much more. This world, the coming world will make us, will be a much better place than the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was good, but it was not perfect. The new world, the new kingdom which we are looking forward will be a perfect world because there is no potential for sin and its consequences of pain, suffering and death. Unlike the Garden of Eden, which always had the potential to sin and die. This is our hope which we believe. And the world today looks forward, has to look, uh, we have to look forward to that, not backward and look back and see, oh, you know, the Garden of Eden was such a good place. Of course it was, but the coming, the coming kingdom of God is a much, much better place. It thrills me whenever I'm reminded that our status has been elevated. We are not merely going back to the stage of, you know, pre-sin Adam uh, in the Garden of Eden, where there had, where we had a possibility of sinning. In the kingdom to come, we will be in a stage where there is no possibility for us to sin. In reconciliation, he elevated our status. What does Pliny's letter to Sabinus say? Let's read what he says. Uh, Pliny's letter to Sabinus uh, mentions that uh, to simply maintain the, the, the status quo, it says that um, I have given him a sharp and severe talking and I have warned him clearly that I want to make such a request again. This was because he needed to get a good fight, good fright. There is no hint of elevation of status. But Pliny is simply asking Sabinus not to hold grudge against that freedman. But Paul wanted Philemon to see Onesimus not just as a slave, but elevate his status as a brother. Friends, this is difficult. This is tough. It is not easy. Christ wants us not only to get even with our enemies, but now esteem them, elevate their status. For many of us, reconciliation is just, uh, okay, I don't hold any grudge against you or again, or I don't hold any grudge against that person now. No, but that's not what the text implies here. And that is not what happened on the cross. God did not simply stop having a grudge on us. The text implies that in reconciliation, we now need to esteem our past offender and not just maintain the earlier status quo. Let's go further. In verse 16, in the second part, it reads that a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. 
a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. This point brings us to another point about reconciliation. Reconciliation involves risk. Let me repeat it. Reconciliation involves risk. By receiving Onesimus, Philemon is taking a risk. Since he is your brother now, he cannot be a slave now. Have we pondered for a moment what effect it would have on Philemon? Philemon's reputation will be at stake. How will his other friends in the business community look at him now? He will be seen as a fool who is now equating himself with his slave. As a runaway slave is, is on the lower rung of the society. He would be rebuked by his counterparts as a wrong example being set in the community by rewarding a slave that has run away and setting him free and elevating the status. Understand the social pressure on Philemon. If Philemon must listen to Paul's advice, it would prove him costly. Did Philemon take that risk? I think he risked his life. Only in heaven we will be able to see uh, and listen to the complete story what happened. I would love to ask Philemon when I meet him, how did the society respond to you? Well, in church tradition, Ignatius of Antioch mentions a person called as Philemon who went on from being a slave to a brother to a bishop. Anesimus is regarded as a saint by many Christian denominations. If that Onesimus mentioned by Ignatius is this Onesimus, we know it was worth taking the risk. If that Onesimus mentioned by Ignatius is this Onesimus, we know it was worth taking the risk. But it was not only Philemon who took that risk. How about Onesimus? We never, we are not looking at the side of Onesimus. What risk did he have? Well, by returning back, Onesimus is taking a risk too because Onesimus is now willing to accept whatever Philemon may decide. Philemon has the power of life and death over his runaway slave. And at this point of time, Onesimus does not know, right now, Onesimus does not know what Philemon would do. Maybe Philemon may not receive him back. Or maybe he may sell him to another master. We don't know. This reconciliation is a risk not only to Philemon, but also for Onesimus. Onesimus could take the Old Testament law and claim it for himself, you know, and be forever in Rome. But no, Onesimus is taking a risk for reconciliation. How about Paul? Paul is taking a risk by showing hospitality to a runaway slave. It was illegal. It was illegal to shelter a runaway slave. And here I want to bring this point that not everything illegal is wrong. Just because certain things are illegal or legal doesn't make it Christian or unchristian. Abortion is legal in many places, but it is evil. Slavery was legal, but it is evil. Racial segregation was legal, but it is absolutely unchristian. I want to challenge you to see some of the things in our present culture and see does many of these things have legal validity but is it also unchristian?
or certain things that are illegal right now but perfectly Christian to do particularly the issue of you know illegal aliens or illegal immigrants I would like to encourage you to read and watch some of their stories some of them have been clearly have been have clearly been escaped from persecution some of them have escaped from being victims of rape and violence and categorizing everybody in one box by terming them illegals and becoming self-righteous without hearing that story of how they became illegal is not Christian we are called to love them remember the political map of this world that we have today in our hand is man-made and has continuously undergone changes in world history Christianity has no boundary Christianity has no wall we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior friends in the year 2015 a short film by the title sing a little louder was released many of you might have seen it and this was inspired by the true story of an elderly man who in his youth witnessed the horrors of Jewish Holocaust from the pews of his church listen to the story which he narrated to the pro-life activist Penelia he says I was a young man living in Germany during the Holocaust I considered myself as a Christian I attended a little church with my family from the time I was a small boy we all heard about atrocities that were happening not far from us in Auschwitz but it was too difficult to comprehend what would we do anyway there was a train track behind the church week after week we would hear the sound of the whistle and the clacking of the wheels as the train passed by it never bothered us we grew accustomed to it one morning we heard noise coming from the train it was the sound of wailing and moaning we were shocked when we realized that there were people in those boxcars they were being led away to death week after week that train whistle blew and we heard the sound of those poor Jews crying out it was so disturbing that we decided that we devised a plan we moved up our song service so that when the train passed we would be singing we sang as loud as we could to drown out the cries if perchance we still heard them we just sang a little louder years have passed and no one talks about it much anymore but I still hear the sound of the train whistle in my sleep I can still hear them crying out for help God forgive me God forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians yet did nothing to intervene silence in such situations Christians are not called to be simply be silent because it is according to the law here Christians have a high responsibility to go against it if the law is unbiblical if the law is unjust if it hurt if it hurts the Christian conscience we are not with that law at that time when I look at that person 
culture, I think, when I look at the present culture, I think, are we too obsessed with our risk mitigation culture, you know, risk mitigation culture of the Western society? Are we ready to take a risk for helping our brothers and sisters who may be illegal in the eyes of the law? No. Will, will you take a risk and raise your voice for those who have no voice? When majority of the church was silent during the atrocities committed at that time, there were few people like Corriton Boom, British Bonhoeffer, who defied the law and listened to the conscience to submit before a greater lawgiver and they, they we know that the, their stories how they 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 hit some of the people and they rescued so many of the people at that time in the letter of Pliny to Selvianus I don't see any risk involved he doesn't talk about any of those things so reconciliation is 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 involves risk let's go ahead in verse 17 uh, and this is the final point I wanted to make over here. In verse 17 it says, If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me, even your own self. And that's the point. When we look at this verse from 17 to 19, we see a gospel narrative taking place. And that's the final point I wanted to make. Reconciliation is the gospel narrative. Receive him as you would have received me. Paul identifies himself with Onesimus. Christ identified himself with us sinners. Philemon is to welcome Onesimus as he would have welcomed Apostle Paul. This relationship between Onesimus and Philemon and Paul may be likened to the relationship that you and I have with the Father and to Jesus Christ. The same thing which Jesus did for us, that Jesus did for Paul, Paul is now doing for his spiritual child. Charge it to my account. Paul is becoming, uh, is being the mediator like Jesus Christ. Not like the worldly mediator who has nothing to lose. Unless he must the story, you know, illustrates you and me in many, very different ways. So far as we know, Onesimus was the born slave. We are born in slavery and to sin until, you know, and guilt and condemnation comes to us because of Adam's sin. You know, just as Onesimus, you know, committed acts of rebellion against Philemon, we have committed acts of rebellion against God. And we are guilty of those transgressions. In other words, we all are Christ's Onesimuses. We all are runaways. You know what is Paul's response? Like Christ, he said to Philemon, put that on my account. Charge it to my account. Isn't that what Christ said and did? When I look at Onesimus, Paul and uh, Philemon, you know, I can picture like this, you know, Paul in the, is, you know, is in the middle, one arm around Onesimus and another arm around Philemon. Paul is in the middle as Jesus charged it to my account. You know, this is the only letter where Paul does not explicitly mention about Jesus' death or resurrection. And I don't think that Paul has missed it. 
because he is demonstrating the fact of cross and resurrection through his actions. The gospel message has been clearly acted out here. The gospel narrative is seen. Paul lays himself out for Onesimus. With all his means, he pleads his cause with his master and makes himself as he were Onesimus and had himself done wrong to Philemon. Paul is simply doing what Christ did for us, for Christ did for him. And this is exactly what we are called to do. Simply do what Christ did for us. What did God do for us? We know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What are we asked to do? It's 1 John 3.16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We all know John 3.16 but we need to graduate from John 3.16 to 1 John 3.16 and that's not easy and that is the ministry of reconciliation. Friends, I wanted to close this by asking you a question. Is there anybody that you need among you who needs to be reconciled with? Is there any person you know is in need of reconciliation. Would you become like Christ and be willing to say, charge it to my account. Charge it to my account. The difference between Pliny's letter and Paul's letter is that Paul's letter has one more additional character which is missing in Pliny's letter, the person of Jesus Christ. And that makes the entire difference. That makes the entire difference. This morning, we saw seven things about reconciliation. Let me recap that for you. Reconci First, reconciliation values relationship. Second, reconciliation is motivated by love. Third, reconciliation involves repentance. Fourth, reconciliation happens best when we focus on God rather than man. Fifth, reconciliation seeks to elevate the status. Sixth, reconciliation involves risk. And finally, the seventh, reconciliation is the gospel narrative. Shall we look unto the Lord in prayer? Heavenly Father, help us to value relationship over rights and be motivated by love in everything we do. Help us to produce the fruits of repentance and focus on your sovereignty rather than on man. To see the eternal perspective rather than the temporary gain. Help us to elevate the status of our neighbor and be willing to take risk for our neighbor. Finally, may our lives be the gospel narrative which we have experienced by the life, death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.